0: to you. My goodness, I so appreciate our worship team, don't you? You know, I feel an album coming on, don't you? Those were all, seriously, all original songs written by our team, uh, born out of their time around the table, in the Word, sharing with each other, and that's how these songs came out. If any one of those songs just spoke to you in any way, man, just let them know. It would just... Uh, Bring, bring a great blessing to them. You know, every worshiper is a worship leader, but not every so-called worship leader is necessarily a worshiper. And our team, our team are first of all worshipers. Uh, they worship, they kind of understand what this is all about, and then they lead you in worship, lead us in worship, and we're so appreciative for that. And just uh, just pray God will bless them as they continue uh, that leadership. Hey, it was good greeting you this morning. Welcome in. Um, Isaiah and Morgan. Where are you? Isaiah and Morgan, would you guys stand up? Hey, this couple was just married yesterday. I met them this morning. They are choosing to spend their first day in the honeymoon with us. <laughs> Congratulations. You can. You can kill me afterwards, I say I didn't mean to point you out. Anybody else get married yesterday? We'll recognize you as well. Great to have you here. It was so good to meet some of you this morning for the very first time. Welcome into the house for those of you watching online. So we, we want to give you a welcome as well. In fact, everyone in the house, welcome those online this morning. They're a part of our team. Good to have you with us. So good to be here. How many of you watched the Penn State game yesterday? All the the way to the end. Sorry to bring it up all the way to the end. So you're not afraid of overtime, right? You don't care if we go late, right? I I love overtime people because in case we go late here, you're not going to walk out on us, right? Actually, we're going to go short, but I have something I need to tell you before we jump into our message. Next Sunday, next weekend is what we call Vision Weekend. Uh, we call it Vision Sunday. Typically, here at this church, historically, we've had what's called a congregational meeting every year, and it usually was on an evening, a Sunday evening service, and it just really didn't get a lot of people coming out, so we switched that to a Sunday morning, and we've changed it to Vision Sunday. Next Sunday is that when you come in, you're going to be presented a little booklet uh, that says uh, Year in Review 2021. It's going to recap some of the things that happened, uh, highlight our new state members and elders that joined us. Uh, it's going to highlight again a few things that happened statistically like our baptisms and child dedications, all those amazing things that God did. And then we're going to also give you a glimpse of what's coming. We're going to unveil some things that God has been laying on our hearts, some new vision, and even in the midst, yes, of a lot of uncertainty, we're going to kind of pour that out there and uh, just allow you, invite you to be a process of where we believe God's taken our church uh, into the future. So we hope that you can be here next weekend online in-house uh, just to share in that moment with us and we look forward we look forward to just involving you in in our ongoing ministry and let me just begin our message this morning with a little story it's kind of a corny thing and I, I don't like to do this but it really makes a point and fits with our message so hang on for a moment there were these two camels there's a mother camel and a baby camel and they were having a conversation little baby camel looks at the mother camel and says mom Why do we have these huge three-toed feet? Why why are our feet so big? Well, the mother camel says, listen, the reason that we have such big uh, feet like this with these three toes is so that when we walk across the desert, our feet are not going to sink into the sand. A couple minutes later, the little baby camel says, but mom, why do we have these super long eyelashes? The mom says, well, we have these super long eyelashes to keep the sand out of our eyes so that when we trek across the desert, we won't get the sand in our eyes. Well, mom, why do we have these big humps on our back? Well, they're to store water, right? To help us when we make these big treks across the desert, uh, we, it stores water so we don't have to stop so often and, and get drinks. So the little baby camel's thinking about this and it's like, so we've got these big feet to keep us from sinking in the sand. We've got these long eyelashes to keep the sand out of our eyes. And we've got these two big humps to help us store water. Mom says, that's exactly right, dear. And a little camel's thinking, he says, so why are we in the San Diego Zoo, right? Anyway, here's the thing. I've I've been around long enough to know and have been through life experience to know that toddlers seem to have all the questions and teenagers seem to have all the answers, right? But here this morning, I would just like all of us, for all of us just to become a little toddler-like and ask some significant why questions. Why am I here? Why am I created the way that I am? God, why did you create me to be the way that I am? God, why are you permitting me to go through all of these life circumstances and things that I'm going through? God, why do you love me? Listen, I want to answer all those why questions right up front this morning with one simple sentence, and that is this. The answer to why, the answer to all those why questions is simply because you are God's prized possession. You are God's prized possession. Now, you may find that hard to believe because some of you right now are thinking, my goodness, with all that I've done and with what has been done to me, I don't feel very special. I don't feel like I have a whole lot of worth. Furthermore, what we sometimes do is we begin to compare ourselves to other people. And when we begin, when we compare ourselves to other people, we end up believing that they are so much better than we are. And then we have these we have these feelings of like 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 negative self image, and we we feel like maybe we're trapped in a prison or in a zoo, right? When God created us to be so much more than what we are, and we feel inferior, and we feel kind of like ah, I just I just don't know. But but here's the thing: I want you to know today that you are a whole lot more than what you think you are. You are a whole lot more than what you think you are, and here's why I can say that. Because of one single verse in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, our theme verse for this month, where God, where, where God inspires Peter to write and says, but you are a chosen people. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, and you are God's prized possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This week I was reading in the book of James, and I came across a verse that never really jumped out to me before. But I think it was because I was kind of processing this prize possession identity, where where James, uh, chapter one, verse eighteen, came came to my attention. And here James is writing, and it's like he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prize possession. Isn't that amazing? You are his prize possession. I think I shared this with you before, but it was back in 2020, my kids gave me a Father's Day gift, which was a subscription to this online uh, kind of subscription thing called StoryWorth. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but StoryWorth is this uh, membership program that allows a someone online to ask a question that hopefully prompts a story by another subscribed member. So here's how it works. My kids bought me this subscription to StoryWorth, and every Monday morning, there's this question that pops up in my inbox. It's a random kind of questions. It's questions kind of like, I'll give you an example here. Questions like, how did you feel when your first child was born? What is one of the most selfless things that you have done in life? At what times in your life are you happiest and why? Have you any, have you pulled any great pranks? Right? What is one of the bravest things that you have done and what was the outcome? And so I get all these questions and then I'm supposed to write a story on it. And at the end of the year, I take all, all 52 stories are compiled into this little booklet. And then it, it's a nice hardbound booklet. This is the story of my life, about 104 pages. That is now a gift available to my kids. So they're going to know all this about me. So if, you, if you're interested in something like this, just go to StoryWorth. It is a great gift. As actually, I, I told Penny, this is more of a punishment for me than it was a gift because it took me a long time to write this. But one of the last questions that I um, asked was, "What what are your favorite possessions and why? So here's what I wrote. I want to share this with you for a reason. One of my favorite possessions, and I had to. I had to actually preface this by saying, um, "Well, I'll just tell you what I wrote." When I wrote this, I said, "I feel like I ought to answer this question with a list of noble, ancestral, or spiritual tokens, like the family Bible, the great great, my, the photo of my great great grandparents, or you know, the necklace." that my mother, that my grandmother wore as a military nurse or something like that. You know, when you have like the most special possession, it ought to be something like that, right? But I wrote, at the risk of appearing shallow, I'm going to answer the question in the moment. Now, you need to understand, I wrote this when I was on sabbatical. So I was working for an entire week in a wood shop. And I came home from that, sat down to write and here's what it said. This week I'm working in Galen Bricker's shop, right? And I'm using tools with names like Milwaukee, Porter Gable and Craftsman. But my favorite tool is my own possession, a DeWalt cordless drill. Now that's shallow. I know. Hang on for a moment. I've had this tool for years, and it has served me through many projects, and it has earned its title as a favorite. I did like that drill. Now, it's only like a $69.99 kind of item, very small thing, but this drill went with me everywhere. I hate to even begin a project without that drill because it does a lot of things. It drills, it screws. I mean, it just it does everything. In fact, I'm kind of sad right now because that drill is on its way out and it needs to be replaced. Now, again, to double my shallowness, I added another favorite possession right now is my giant road bike. I've just had two good rides where I broke personal records. I was feeling pretty good about this bike. Now, I say that bike also looks better than what I can make it perform. (laughs) But it is my favorite possession until I buy a new one, right? Until I buy a new one. Just don't tell Penny. Until I buy a new one. But then I do. Here's my redeeming part. My redeeming part of this story is, I do want to end this post on a spiritual note by acknowledging that my favorite possession by far is Christ in me, my hope of glory. That's my favorite possession of all. But if God were a subscriber to StoryWorth, and he were asked the very same question that I was asked, what is your favorite possession? You know what he would say? It's you. It is you. You are his special possession. You are his prized possession. Above all other things that God created, you are his prized possession. Listen, I want you to hang on to that this morning, and I want to unpack that in in a couple of different ways this morning because uh, I think this is so significant uh, that you know this. You are God's prized possession, and there's two reasons why. Number one is you are God's prized possession because he lovingly created you. He lovingly created you. As Rick Warren says in The Purpose Driven Life, your birth was no mistake or mishap. Your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it long before you were conceived by your parents. You were conceived in the mind of God. One of the most clarifying passages of scripture about your life and my life is Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. You know this, you've heard this before, but let me remind you, this is the psalmist talking to his God and he's saying like this, you made you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes when I travel, and I don't travel a whole lot, but when I do, I listen to podcasts or worship music just to, you know, make the time go past. But on my last trip to Findlay, I was listening to a, a comedian. There is some clean comedy out there, so I tuned into this uh, comedy show, and there was this, this black comedian. He was amazing. But in his script, he said something to the effect like this. He said, hey, did you hear that they now have colored sonograms? Colored sonograms? And they said, "Like I don't know, I don't know really why we need colored sonograms. I was pretty sure that my kid was going to be black, right?" And and and, and he it kind of made that into a joke. But here's the point: so did God. God knew that before you were born, before any one of us was born, he knew our race, our nationality, our character, our nature, our skills, our abilities, and our gender. And he kind of fixed us for that, right? He even knew when and where you would be born and what every single day of your life would be like. God knew all that because you are his special possession. And thus, he lovingly created you. Now, I know that in Genesis, we have the account of creation that we kind of know well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we think of the earth as that first point of creation. And then a lot of other things were created. And finally, we get to that sixth day. And it says, God created man. So we might say, okay, well, we're kind of at the end of the spectrum of creation. What he created first must be the most important. But you need to know that before God created the earth, God created it before that, he had you in his mind. He was shaping you, forming you, planning you, even before the creation of the world. So he created the earth so that and designed its environment so that you, his prized possession that he thought of, planned before this creation, would have a place to live. I firmly believe that you are the most important possession of God. The earth was only created so that you, his prized possession, would have a place to live. One of the scientists, a scientist said it this way, and Rick Warren uh, cites uh, Dr. Michael Denton, senior research fellow in human molecular genetics at the University of Otago in New Zealand, who has concluded, this is scientific Uh, point of view, he says, all the evidence available in the biological sciences supports the core proposition that the cosmos is a specially designed whole with life and mankind as its fundamental goal and purpose, a whole in which all other facets of reality have their meaning and explanation in this central fact. This scientific conclusion, by the way, fits perfectly with everything that the Bible says about creation, especially about the special creation of mankind, about what it says about you. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse six, Paul says this, and he's speaking to believers, those who have been chosen, those who have been called, right? Those who are, are those royal priests, the holy nation. Paul says to these people, but there's one god and he's talking about the nations of the world and all their idols he says but for you there is one god the father by whom all things were created and for whom we live and there is one lord jesus christ through whom all things were created through whom we live see not only does god prize treasure and consider us his special possession because he lovingly created us but god also considers you his his, his Christ's possession because he graciously bought you. He lovingly created you, but you know what happened after the creation, right? Sin came into this world, separated us from him, made us bondage in our sin, made us captive in our sins, so much so that we were considered slaves that had to be bought and purchased back into a relationship with God. Jesus Christ lovingly bought you back. Thus, you are his special, uh, special creation. Now, we all have a sense of justice that kind of just rises up within us. We know that. Like when someone is, wrongs us or someone wrongs someone that we love, uh, if someone intentionally or maliciously or without any provocation lies about you, tells a lie about you or someone that you love, someone messes around with you or messes around with your kid, right? There's a sense of justice that rises up within you. And you know what? You know how we express that? We express that with words that go something like this. You are going to pay for this, right? You are going to pay for this. That's our sense of justice that just naturally comes to the surface. So in other words, our sense of justice automatically demands a payment from the person who wronged us. But then Jesus comes along, right? And he says stuff like, we ought to love our enemies, and we ought to turn to the other cheek, right? And we should not give, repay evil for evil, and we're supposed to bless those who persecute you. And all of a sudden, uh, that, that, that you're going to pay for this idea, and our plans for that kind of go away. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christianity, de- Christianity denies this basic sense of justice that we all feel? Does Christianity teach us that wrongs don't have to be repaid? Does it teach us that justice is cheap and that there's no price to pay for for evil and for something wrong? Not at all. Not at all. That's not what Jesus meant. When Jesus tells us to return good for evil, he does not mean that no price is required for all the evil that is done to us. He simply means that God will pay it so that we don't have to. Now, you know what the plan is? You know what God's plan is for that? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. Jesus offers another way to make things right with a God of justice, a way to be free from the condemnation of God and our own conscience. Jesus provides another way. And it's a way that lets this principle of justice stand, at the same time rescues people who would otherwise be condemned by it. uh, Jesus uh, says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, the son of man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, what? Ransom, ransom for many. Your life as a ransom? Your life as a payment? Jesus says that he came into this world so that when our conscience says, you are going to pay for that, we can say back, no, I'm not because Jesus has already paid for it. The greatest news in the world is that the Son of Man paid the price of my condemnation. Now, the New Testament says it this way. It says that God has done what the law could not do. God did what the law could not do. Sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. The gospel of Jesus Christ that God offers to everyone who believes, every single one of us, is this is that the death of jesus his son is the payment for our sin our guilt and our condemnation that is the gospel if there's anyone in this room or online today that is still wondering about this or has never experienced this i want you to grasp this bit of good news this morning because it is for all of us the gospel is for every single one of us When we accept that gospel, then we become those that are the chosen, the royal priest, the holy nation, and the prized possession. Now, God loves you. God loves you even before you receive him as your savior, but you become his prized possession when you step back in to that perfect and beautiful relationship with him. So what is the outcome of knowing that we are God's prized possession? Number one, we're God's prized possession because he lovingly created us. He didn't make any junk. Right? He made all things good exactly the way he wanted it. You are also his prized possession because he, he, he graciously bought you, brought you back with his with the life of his son. What's the outcome of all this? What does it mean now that we are God's prized possession? There's two things. Two things. Number one is this knowing that you are God's prized possession gives you a gives you the right perspective of yourself. Man, we're so good at creating and applying labels, aren't we? We apply labels to people. You think about it. We've got labels for everyone. Labels are out there. Culture gives us labels. Maybe your family members give you labels. Derwin Gray says this. He says, a label is a soul tattoo, a tattoo on our soul that is ingrained deep in our hearts so much so that it determines how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves determines how we live. Now, many of us are stuck. We're stuck believing negative messages that come from these kinds of labels because they're often stitched into our hearts and into our belief system at a very early age. And this, by the way, has limited your life and my life at times. I know a guy right now, he's about 66 years old, who when he was very young was told that he would never amount to anything. He told us the story. He would never amount to anything. He was told that by his father and he was labeled a failure and his life, entire life reflected it. Now I know that one can question if it was actually that label that caused his failures or if it was simply, you know, the individual's inability to discern, right? And decide, you know, the aptitude kind of things. We can, we can maybe debate that, but ultimately the name that you answer to is the name that you will live by. So whatever label is put on you, if that's what you believe about yourself, right, that is what you will live by. And if the label that you live by is a false label, it leads to living a lie. And a life built on a lie places you in a zoo right? It puts you in a zoo. A zoo or a prison is not where you were meant to live. It's a place where people just kind of look at you, right? And gaze at you. It's a place of captivity. It's a place of limitation. God did not create you to live in the zoo. God created you to trek the desert with him somewhere, right? To move out, make a difference in this world. But you might believe in that label that God has put on you, which keeps you somewhat limited. And so what Jesus wants to do is give life-giving labels that release your potential for the good of this world. That's why he says to all of us who are believers in him, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And you are my prized possession. That's the label that God gives you. That is who you are. The message paraphrase of Galatians chapter 5, uh, chapter 6 verse 5 says this, make a careful exploration of who you are. In other words, Listen to what God says, to who God says you are. Listen to the word, listen to how God labels you, not how the world labels you, not how your friends label you, not how culture labels you, not how maybe your parents labeled you. Listen to what God says about you and the work that you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. Now, I know that may sound like a self-centered philosophical approach to life, but I want you to know it is also a deeply profound theological truth that establishes your true identity and the right perspective of yourself. If you're living out of a false label, you will never, never be what God planned for you to be. You'll be limited. Now, the second outcome of this is not only knowing that, that you are prized, God's prized possession give you a right perspective of yourself, but it also gives you a right perspective of other people. When we believe that every single one of us is God's prized possession, it has a profound impact on how we interact with others. Rather than being judgmental, rather than being critical, rather than showing favoritism, rather than talking down on others, we see other people as God sees them, especially within the household of God, especially with those who are believers. We'll recognize each other's worth. We'll recognize each other's values. We'll recognize each other's significance. We'll believe and accept them as they are. We'll love and esteem them as God does. In the book of First John, the writer says, dear friends, since God so loved us, since God so loved us so much, right, that he bought us, he graciously bought us with the life of his son, since God so loved, so loved us that much, we surely, surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Let me kind of wrap this up this morning, wrap this thought up with this. just want to ask you some questions. I want you to think for a moment about the labels that you've been living with. Labels that have been keeping you limited. Labels that have been given to you by your parents. Labels that have been given to you by other people. It might be labels like fear. You're just a fearful person, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's labels like worrywart. Did you ever hear that word, worrywart? I have no idea how that came about, but it's like someone that worries all the time about things. Maybe maybe you even give yourself that label, right? You're just worrying all the time. Maybe it's the label of failure. Maybe you have the label of addict. You're an addict. Maybe it's the label of orphan. Maybe the label of damaged goods. Maybe it's the label of divorce, purposeless, black sheep, underdog. I don't know what labels you're living with. I'm not sure what labels have been applied to you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about those labels. Chances are you're living your life according to that label unless you overcome that, right, and begin to believe what God says about you. So what I want you to do is I want you to quiet your minds and your hearts this morning and I want you to just kind of hear that sound or imagine the sound of Jesus ripping that label from your heart. Now, sometimes when God does this, when he rips labels from our hearts, right, it hurts. But it's a good hurt. It's a good hurt. It's like the muscle soreness we get after a good workout at the gym. feels good right? Or maybe it's the recovery from a surgery, right? There's often some soreness that comes from a surgery, but it's a good hurt because we're nowhere on the road to recovery, right? And with each day, it gets a little bit better. It gets a little bit less, but here's the thing. When God begins to rip the labels that you've been living with off of your heart, it's it's going to hurt for a moment because you recognize that you've been living this for a long time. Like a camel trapped in the San Diego Zoo when you were created to trek across the desert. Your life has been limited because of that label. Let God rip it off. And with each passing day of spiritual rehab, not only are you, are you going to regain your strength, but you're going to realize that it's regained from a source beyond you. Jesus himself. Your new label is chosen. Your new label is royal. Your new label is holy. Your new label is prized possession. That's who you are. Not what everybody else has been saying about you. Not what you have chosen to believe about yourself, but what God says about you. Now you're free. When you accept God's label, now you're free to step out of the world of judgment, step out of the world of self-condemnation, and step right into the abundant, fulfilling, limitless life that God planned for those who are his prized possession. Isn't that amazing? This is what God provides for every single one of us, not to be captive to what the world labels us or what we've been labeled or what we labeled ourselves, but to live as God says we are his prized possession so that we may what declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. An awesome, awesome responsibility to be the skyline that just makes a difference in our world the skyline that that, that represents Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs to see and know him. That's our calling. That's our privilege. That's our identity. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for reminding us today of who we are because the reality is we have all kinds of labels that are placed on us. Labels from our parents, labels from people that are perhaps our friends or people that we associate with. We have labels by the culture that's given to us and we have labels from you. And God, my prayer today would be that we could strip away all the labels that we've been living with and claim the label of God's prized possession and live it out for your glory. The quietness of these moments here right now, we're gonna just offer our prayers to you and we're gonna say, God, take these labels. We're going to give you permission now to rip, rip all those labels from us. The label of failure, the label of fear, the label of worry, the label of damaged goods, the label of lesser than somebody else. All those labels that we're living with, God, we right now give you permission to rip those labels off our soul. We claim the label. We now claim the label as your prized possession. God, the only thing that we can do in response to that is just praise you. You you are so worthy to receive our praise this morning because your prized possession is not what we deserve. It's not what we've earned, but it's what you have chosen to give us simply because you love us, simply because of the plan that you made for us, simply because of what, what you want us to do for you. And so, God, we just honor you today. We express our worth to you, uh, uh, your, your worthiness because of everything that you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.